Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Frontside Podcast, episode 78. My name is Charles Lowell, a developer here at the Frontside and your podcast host in training. And with me today are Jeff and Jason from Casita. Now, Casita is one of the most exciting products that I think we've gotten to work on here at Frontside in the last five years. So we're going to be just talking about it because I think it touches on a lot of the aspects of what makes software development and startups and just the emerging economy uh, exciting. So I'm really thankful that we get to have you all on uh, the podcast. So welcome, Jeff, and welcome, Jason. Yeah, thanks for having us. Excited to be here. Thanks, Charles. Yeah. So now, Jeff, you are the founder of Casita, the CEO, and I believe your official title over there is uh, Professor Dumpster. Maybe you could actually unpack for us a little bit of one, what does that title mean? How did Casita come about and, and what is it today? A couple of years ago, I did a sort of radical, I guess, social experiment around housing. I went and sold everything I owned for a dollar an item out of a 3,000 square foot house and uh, moved into a 33 square foot used trash dumpster uh, for a year. And the idea of that project was to um, live in 1% the size of a average new American home and try to use 1% the energy and water of the average American home. And the project took a little bit of a twist, you might say, and about partway through it, when the dumpster started getting tricked out, I started thinking about the whole nature of housing <laughs> and uh, how we needed to do something different and how that grand future probably would not be a gated community of dumpsters. <laughs> so now I assume you cleaned out the dumpster before you actually went to live in it. Yeah, it was uh, it was a fixer upper. Uh, we gave it a bit <laughs> of a scrub and did some testing to make sure there wasn't anything nasty left in there. And uh, yeah, that went for about a year. A couple of months wow. after that, I actually first sat down with Jason because he was the only person that I knew in the entire startup scene in the entire world. And he said, Wilson, you've had some crazy ass ideas like this dumpster thing you told me about. Um, this one might actually work, this Casita thing. And uh, here we are today. Uh, we're working together. Wow. This was something you just did on a lark. You didn't have the idea of starting this business, but it was actually through the process of actually living in this dumpster for a year that the, the idea emerged? Or was there a master plan going in? Yeah, there was. I, I don't know, Jason, maybe you can say what do you remember any kind of master plan when I first told you about the dumpster? No, when we first met to talk about the dumpster, it was an early morning, I believe in 2010 or 2011. And you were incubating the idea. And at that point in time, there was nothing on your mind or you weren't looking towards the future of housing at all. You were just trying to figure out how you were going to move into a dumpster and if people thought you would be crazy. And of course, I validated it. I thought people would think you'd be crazy. So. <laughs> I mean, that is a pretty radical idea. The future of housing being you know, 1% of what it is now. How do you see that playing out? How is that possible? How, how do you shift people's mindset away from that? Well, it's one of the bigger things we're trying to do with Casita, right? There needs to be a massive shift in the wider way that we live in our homes. And, you know, as everything else is moving towards on demand and as a service and as everything's being sort of productized, 
those are some of the core ideas behind Casita. You know, we think about Casita a lot more like an iPhone or a Tesla than we would think about it as a single family home or an apartment block or even a micro unit. And it's why Jason and I are standing together here today is I represent in a lot of ways the kind of vision and origin story of Casita. But in a lot of ways, Jason represents the future of the kind of software and integrated IoT that's going into these things. Yeah. I mean, there is definitely a lot going into these things. I mean, I, I remember when Jason first started telling me about it, because this is not, I mean, it, it is like an iPhone or a Tesla, but I think uh, especially the Tesla is a great analogy because you have not just like a normal software or even really a hardware project. You've got architectural concerns. You've got manufacturing concerns. You've got, I assume, you know, geopolitical concerns uh, in terms of, of, you know, the politics around zoning and housing and, you know, real estate all rolled up into a big startup. I mean, when I think startup, I think, hey, let's, you know, let's get a web application up and running and we're providing some service. This is cross-cutting at least five industries, it feels like, you know, if not more. Um, and I'm curious, what's been the experience in, in terms of wrangling that? That aspect, because I think that it very, it, you know, it is very unique in a startup today, but it's got me wondering, are startups, is this going to be the normal in five years? Yeah. Well, you've seen a movement uh, recently in the venture community in one way that, that the answer, even a few years ago when we first started raising money, was uh, highly regulated industries are hard. Hardware is hard. Uh, thank you very much. We're going to go looking for our next <laughs> two Stanford uh, computer science dropouts, right, to, to shove into a WeWork and, and not have to deal with all of this kind of stuff. I think you're seeing a shift to where people uh, from the individual sort of level up to the folks funding these things see the massive opportunity and highly regulated, complex problems problems like housing. And you're right. I mean, Jason and I are looking out over our shop floor here where we've got guys out there that are plumbers or traditional electricians, you know, all the way upstairs here to folks that have been uh, mayor pro tem of large cities, you know, with, with PhDs. And bridging all of those, you know, sort of individuals into a, a startup culture and then looking at the complexity of the landscape from a regulatory standpoint, autonomous cars are a breeze relative to <laughs> the, the kind of complexity we're dealing with. And so did you know this, uh, this complexity walking in or was it classic uh, over-optimism? No, it was I mean, classic did... over-optimism. I mean, I, I'm always asked, you know, are you a designer, are you an architect, are you a real estate developer, are you a technology guy? And I think if I would have been any of those besides a guy living in a dumpster, I would have never been crazy enough to try this. And, and it's one of our core precepts as well, right? Jason had never worked with IoT stuff before. Our head of manufacturing used to build LEDs for Philips. Our quality guy inspected Cadillacs. Our manufacturing engineer built Boeing jets, right? So the, the mm -hmm. idea is that we're not pulling a lot of people from these traditional industries. We're pulling smart people that are passionate about our mission in to, you know, solve this, what is really a Rubik's cube of a problem. Yeah. And I think, yeah. I think the other thing to add to that too, Charles, Jeff's not getting himself enough credit is that 
from very early on, Jeff always looked at Casita as a product that was going to incorporate multiple disciplines. And so he was very careful in how he orchestrated and built the team to make sure that he was bringing the right expertise and the right areas together and then forcing those different disciplines to figure out how to to meld and work together to kind of build the casita. But the casita was never, from the beginning, just about building a micro-urban home. It was about building mm-hmm. a product of which part of that was a home where people live, obviously, but there's a whole lot more to it that we're, we're working towards. And I think, you know, even go back, and Jeff, it might be relevant for you to talk a little bit about the approach that you took to just creating the initial design for Casita, which I think is revolutionary in itself. Yeah, I mean, a big part of our DNA was product uh, from conception. When I was living in the dumpster, I recruited a couple of the top architects uh, in the country, really, uh, to help me turn that dumpster into a home. Well, the way you're trained in architecture school, uh, I think a lot of folks come in there with Buckminster uh, Fuller kind of dreams, and you're you're told pretty quick that you better bring things up to code and you better make things that sell or you're not going to eat when you get out of here. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the idea was that we would uh, start off with a product designer and not design a home. The kind of struggles in the dumpster taught me that that we needed to go at a different approach. And so I went and recruited an industrial designer. And one of the requirements for that person is that he or she had never designed a home. So this person had lived under a staircase and never designed a home. So I said, you're perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. And I'm curious, you know, Jason, from your perspective, what was it like to have gone through this? You know, this... It sounds like, you know, what you're doing is asking people to bring their expertise, but not their set of expectations like the industrial designer. You know, what was it like for you coming primarily from the software development world to kind of step into this pan-technological realm? And, you know, kind of what were the things that, uh, what was that experience like? And what were the things that stretched you and you found surprising? Yeah, I think early on, I realized that it was going to be a bit more challenging maybe than I than I thought. And really what it required was me to think outside of, of my discipline, um, obviously, not only from the perspective of what we were doing on the IoT front and how we were melding software and hardware together, but then going all the way over to the physical building structure and thinking about on a weekly, daily, hourly basis, how we're interacting with the with the other disciplines. And so an early example was, and this is one that I, I remember that's quite funny, is one area that we wanted to make sure that we had covered in our research and understanding from an IoT perspective was smart locks and how we were going to provide smart locks for the beta. And so we went out and did a lot of investigation, brought a number of leading smart lock uh, solutions into uh, the lab and, and tested them and kind of narrowed our list down. And then I I recall vividly walking over to the architects to uh, excitedly tell them we had selected our smart lock that we were going to use. And they uh, very quickly informed me that that lock wouldn't work because we needed a mortise lock and not a standard door lock. And so I realized that, you know, you can't work in a vacuum and just solve your problems. You have to be working together to make sure the the solutions and the products you're selecting work in, in, in accord with the overall design. And that's continued to manifest itself. I every day I'm down on the manufacturing floor working directly with the electricians and others to make sure that 
our equipment is placed properly, where are we going to place our equipment, how are we routing around plumbing and pipes and other things that exist there, and how are we locating things properly. So it's an ongoing experience which has definitely taken me out of my traditional software role, but it's done so in a very exciting way and I've enjoyed it. It's just realizing that you have to actively be communicating across the organization with all groups and really you can't take anything for granted. Yeah, no, I definitely. I mean, the number of different disciplines and technologies is uh it's it's really staggering even even if you limit it to, you know, just considering the set of devices that you're integrating. Um and I was actually hoping we could talk a little bit about that. Now, inside each casita, at least the 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 ones that you're building right now, how many different devices do you have? And let's talk about, gosh, how do you take all these disparate devices and turn them into a product or integrate them into you know, something that itself is, is one product? Yeah. So just looking, if you were just to look at the technology bill of materials, what the products are that we're incorporating into our current Casita design, there's around 50 different products and product parts that we're bringing together to build out the technology solution. If you narrow that down to what the end user is actually seeing and looking at, there's about seven noticeable products that the end user would see or that they would recognize. Everything from a Sonos uh, amp- Connect amplifier to an Amazon Dot to a, uh, a Nest thermostat. And so obviously getting to that list of bill of materials and deciding on that quote-unquote sub-assembly of technology pieces took us quite some time and a number of iterations and a lot of outside um, engagement and and talking to to experts and, and trying to decide what were the best devices to bring in. But the other side of the equation was something that we we kind of decided very early on in the process and I you know kind of thinking of it in the world of first principles was that we wanted to make sure that Casita was the primary interface to the user. We didn't want somebody else sitting between us and the end user. We wanted to be able to work with other products, but we still felt at the end of the day that the end user, when they were living inside of a Casita, when they were controlling the Casita, when they were changing the state of the Casita, they needed to go through our interface. And with that kind of as an initial first principle, you can begin to imagine that all the other parts of the the system architecture and the way that we design things and the way that we select products and build things kind of begin to derive themselves. So everything from that, you know, that immediately meant we needed an app. And lo and behold, we were able, fortunately, to work with you guys at the front side to help us get our initial app concept up and going. And and it kind of went from there. And I, I can talk more about it. Um, well, no, I think I actually, I really like that as a first principle. I really just wanted to inject, you know, a kind of a vigorous sense of agreement because I think it's so important, especially when, you know, this is the place where you're living. You want to imbue that habitant, inhabitant with a sense of ownership and control. And I don't know if you would be able to do that if, you know, there were a bunch of different touch points and it didn't feel integrated under one product. In other words, this is my home. This is my casita. Is that kind of the, the, the idea behind making sure that there was really only one interface? We, we prefer to say mi casita. Mi casita. <laughs> I love it. 
So, so yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That that's the idea. You know, I think from a consumer perspective, if you've ever personally gone out and ventured through the halls of Home Depot or Best Buy and purchased some smart products off the shelf and brought them into your house and tried to get them up and running, you very quickly learn that it's not only challenging to get these devices connected in a way that you can control them, but there's also this notion of there's an app for that. So every physical device you end up putting in your home has its own app for control. And that becomes very overwhelming in a very short amount of time for the user. So we did not want that to be the case with the Casita. We wanted them to walk in the door from day one and immediately feel at home and feel like they have complete control of the Casita in much the same way when you go purchase an iPhone or you purchase a new Garmin watch or you purchase a new Android device, um, you're, you're up and running with that ecosystem and you're interacting with that interface. We wanted people to be interacting with the Casita interface to control the home because it's part of the product. Yeah, no, I like that. It must present some unique challenges because I think, you know, you said it best, every single device that you have comes with its own ecosystem, right? And now that ecosystem has, you know, its own APIs, you know, its own uh, web interfaces, its own applications. And, you know, though there are walls around those ecosystems. And so how do you... What are some of the challenges, I guess, you encounter in trying to punch holes through those walls so that you can hand information and control from one ecosystem to the other without the user, you know, but while providing a seamless uh, experience to the user? When you're talking about that, Jason, I mean, one of the things that is often left out of this equation is at this specific point in space time, it's very difficult to do that. But then to have any sort of semblance of planning for the future, right, and future-proofing this system, as developers usually call it, you know, one of, one of the reasons why you don't see a lot of Nest thermostats in multifamily developments is because the developer knows that they're not going to ever have to replace a normal light switch. If it's a Lutron switch or if it is a Nest thermostat, at some point, it's going to have to be replaced. So not only the physical replacement of this stuff, but from a software side, you know, making sure that we can continue to communicate with these devices in the future, I think is a, it's a big problem to solve. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. I mean, I think very early on, we recognized and realized that we were going to have to build software and a component that acted, if you will, as a gateway for uh, sitting between the end user and the end devices and, and facilitated the control of, of the end devices. Obviously, in you know, being able to accomplish that, one of the challenges is, and, and you know, I think, Charles, you've seen this in, in your world because I know you've got experience with IoT, is this whole proliferation of standards and protocols is, okay, if we're going to talk to the light bulb, are we talking via Z-Wave or Zigbee or do we have to go through a Philips Hue hub because that's the only way to actually communicate with it? Is there a separate way via thread or Bluetooth you communicate with this device? In a very quick fashion, you get to this point where you could imagine that you've got a physical hardware uh, controller that has four different radios in it for talking to, you know, four different device types, one for talking to Z-Wave, one for talking to Zigbee, and it, it becomes overwhelming. So we did a lot of research across the protocols that were available, mapping them across the devices. Early on, we were excited about the potential of, of Z-Wave, but more recently where we've shifted our attention, quite honestly, is looking for devices and device manufacturers 
who see the opportunity in Wi-Fi enabling their hardware devices and then providing either direct control of those devices in an IP-centric way over a local area network or even through the cloud. Um, And what that affords us, back to Jeff's future-proofing concept, is if you have Wi-Fi up and running and the device can get on the Wi-Fi network and there's a way to communicate with it, then it makes it a lot easier for us to sit between the user and that device and, and send commands and control that that device. And, you know, the other side of that, which I think continues to be a challenge and will be a challenge for the foreseeable future, is a lot of the device manufacturers, to the point that you brought up, are still forcing you to go through the cloud to communicate with their devices. You don't allow for local area network communication directly with the device. And, and there's good reasons for doing that. But what that means is if you lose internet connectivity, you no longer have control of that device. Is that a non-starter? Like when you evaluate, uh, so I mean, obviously you've got probably pretty strict criteria about whether about what it takes for a device to be integrated with Casita. Is that like just a non-starter right there? It's actually not. A non-starter would be the device communicates via a protocol that we can't interface with, or the device works over a Wi-Fi network but has no API for controlling cloud or local. The third piece of that equation and fundamentally is the final non-starter and really probably should be the first one and is one that we take into consideration every time is that there should be a physical override for uh, the user if Mm. internet connectivity is lost. So what I mean by that is if we select a smart switch and and the smart smart switch goes offline and there's no more connectivity, the user should still be able to walk to the wall and press the power button and the light should come on. So there always has Mm -hmm. to be the ability for the user to fall back to the the, the same old-fashioned physical control and in absence of uh, internet connectivity or local area network connectivity. But the, the, the primary things are ability to fall back to physical control, ability to communicate over Wi-Fi or a, a, a standard IP-based protocol, and then the third one would be some form of API access, either remotely via the cloud or locally via the local area network. Wow, that's actually a great list. And I'm, it's got me wondering, you know, obviously you've encountered devices that have fallen on both sides of that divide. Do you feel like that's, you know, just a blip and we're going to be trending more towards devices that are happily and easily integrated? Or is there still, you know, are we still seeing some kind of uh, moving and jostling as people try and maybe try and corner little parts of the market and make their, you know, device deliberately make it not easy so that you'll try and force people into that ecosystem. The latter, however, we have two gorillas in the market right now that are, I think are helping drive the other direction in the way of Amazon and Google with Google Home and, and Amazon and Echo. And what they're doing is they're saying, look, if we sit in the center and are the, one of the interfaces for voice control for the user to control their home, then we're only going to work with devices that we can communicate with and, and that we can control through uh, the cloud. And quite frankly, what that does is it puts the burden back on the device manufacturer. Yeah. You could actually say three if you threw Apple in there. I don't want to leave Apple out with HomeKit. But my point is, is that the device manufacturer now has to find a way that the end device can either communicate via standard TCP IP network-based connectivity that we all know and love from a developer community perspective, or they have to insert a hub into the equation that can handle that form of communication and then communicate over a wireless 
its own proprietary wireless connection, which is in, in the case of Philips Hue, is exactly what they do. Yeah. And, you know, I would draw some analogies here to some people get really tired of this, particularly the real estate people of me talking about the iPhone, but the kind of leap into an integrated piece of hardware and software. You know, there were certain things happening in 2007 that sort of didn't make the iPhone or something like it something that might happen, but something that had to happen. And this kind of cold death to the universe, right, that, that we could see with all of these walled off ecosystems sort of going their directions and iterating into a space to where nobody owns anything and nothing talks. I think Casita is sort of a solution to that, to where we're looking at, all right, let's combine all this stuff under one roof and build a single user experience, much like not having to pull your Palm Pilot out of one pocket, your Rio MP3 player out of another, and you know your your Razor or whatever it was out of the other, right? Like integrating into a single experience rather than a sort of convenience, which is what a lot of the IoT space is right now in these walled off ecosystems. That actually makes a lot of sense and, and clarifies it in my mind quite a bit. And, well, clarifies one thing, but then immediately raises new questions. Uh, so, you know, when the iPhone first came out, you know, you'd had a, uh, you know, a set of, of basic integrations between your MP3 player and uh, your web browsing and, you know, your, your calling and calendaring, so forth, so on and so forth. And then, I don't know, what was it, like a year and a half later, they actually came out with you know, an SDK so that you could actually develop apps. Third-party developers could actually develop, sell, and distribute and uh, uh, apps to the iPhone, right? And we're all really happy with the way that worked out. So I guess my question is, does this analogy carry forward then also for Casita? Like, is there a future where you know, you have third-party developers who are actually selling integrations or apps that would run on this kind of integrated IoT product that is Casita? Or is that, you know, am I stretching the analogy too far? I think the analogy is good with, with the exception that, you know, we're not looking to control the entire IoT ecosystem in a way that Apple maybe had looked to control the, the, the mobile phone ecosystem with providing all of that in one box in the iPhone. We want to work with numerous hardware providers and and uh, even from that perspective, numerous folks that want to provide interfaces into our system. And so as mm -hmm. we've developed and architected the Casita system, technology system, we've taken an API first approach and we're, you know, that's allowed us to build our application layer, user application layer right on top of that API. But in the future, we see the opportunity to work with third party developers to extend that upon that and build their own interfaces uh, to the end user. And then on the other side of the equation, as you think about what's actually controlling the devices, we're architecting that system in a way that a hardware manufacturer could take an SDK and add Casita support for their product uh, directly in and make it plug and play when it gets to the Casita. So we definitely see the opportunity, Charles, to reach out and allow everybody to be part of this. We consider it, quite frankly, a, a, a necessary thing, but we don't also want to pretend that we would look to control the whole ecosystem because we just don't have that that level of uh, scale, if you will. Well, and, you know... Not yet. Yeah, and we try to keep our ego in the dumpster, so to speak, as well. <laughs>
What would a third-party app even look like in the context of Casita? I mean, have you, th- have you thought of like, what are some things that, you know, you might be able to do? If you don't want to call it directly an app, you know, I think the first stage, and Jason and I haven't even talked about this, but the first stage may be more like a kind of an, an Alexa skill, right? To where you can have the Casita do certain sets of tasks uh, around a particular experience, right? Which we're already building into the system, this sort of idea of moods. But, you know, I, I don't know in terms of apps, right? Yeah, no, it's actually it's a, it's actually a really good idea. Um, even though we haven't talked about it, it always scares me a little bit when my boss is coming up with ideas on the fly that we have to implement. But uh. <laughs> So actually, we will have our first, we're going to call it a scalap, a casita scalap. We'll be releasing that, what do you say, October 1st? (laughs) (laughs) You heard it here first, folks. (laughs) To take Jeff's idea a little further, I think that is an interesting concept when you think about the casita as being an end product and you provide interfaces, whether it's the ability for people to write skills that tie into the Amazon Echo or an IFTTT type capability the casita as a whole can be controlled, all the lighting, the sound, all the different the temperature, etc. And so now you're asking end users to write skills to control the entire state of the building or of the home and not just doing it on a one-off basis, writing the skill to turn this light on and off or set the thermostat to this level. So you basically box all that together and make it much easier for people to get from point A to point B uh, through our system. So that, that's a I great mean, idea. Could you say that we're turning the entire casita into a sort of board for people to play with, right? Yeah, I think, the, I think the, like an Ardu or a, a breadboard, like treat the casita as your breadboard. Right. Yeah, I think I think there is some opportunity for that to the degree that will allow the user to have that much flexibility on on the hardware side. I think is still up for question, but I think there's a lot of opportunity there, Charles, and and not only inside of the casita, but then you can begin to see other applications as casitas begin to multiply and and people use them for many purposes. So you know, let's take the example of. Uh, somebody owns 10 casitas and they use them as Airbnb properties and they allow users that live in casitas to come in for a short period of time into their casita and bring their casita profile with them. So immediately they can make the Airbnb casita feel exactly like their casita feels when they're at home. Those are some interesting opportunities and ways that we, we see this technology potentially evolving. Uh, so it would have the same moods, the same behaviors, any customizations or third-party extensions would also be in effect, provided they were software-based. Yep. That would actually be quite amazing. I guess the other question I have in terms of hackability uh, of Casita is, you know, we're, we're kind of very interested uh, in the IoT space and very interested in these products. And, you know, we've, we have some side projects here at Frontside. Also, like I do a bunch of hobby stuff at home where, you know, I try and integrate uh, a, a bunch of these things. But one of the things that I really like about what you all are doing is that it's very much you know, omakase uh, in the sense of, yes, there's an option of 10 smart locks. There's an option of this thermostat. There's an option of a million different devices. But what we've done or what you've done is selected 
ones that we know are going to work well together. And we've built the software, the control systems, both computer control systems and human control systems to get them to work together as a cohesive product. And I would love to do is say, man, I would just like to buy that product for my house, <laughs> even though just so that, you know, my lame tinkerings uh, with, you know, uh, smart switches, smart locks and uh, audio controls and lighting, which, you know, are kind of fun and gratifying, you know, the first few times. But, you know, they don't really play nice together, give you that super sweet feeling. Yeah, look, like, I mean, this goes to the overall philosophy of Casita, right? You know, we want a turnkey, one-click housing solution. So, you know, not only for uh, finding you a place to rent so that you're, you're not, not fishing around on Craigslist, right, for roommates or having mm-hmm. to pay uh, some, you know, outrageous fee in New York. Not only so you don't have to go mattress shopping, there's a Casper queen size you know, bed and every, at some point you should just have to show up with your, you know, iPhone and your toothbrush. Right. And when you start thinking about the technology inside, it's, it's almost like folks don't really care what kind of Foxconn chip is in their iPhone, or even if it, you know, was Foxconn that put it there, they just want it to work and they want it to be seamless and turnkey. And so that's a whole philosophy around, you know, not only our smart kit and the casitas, but it shouldn't even be a smart kit anymore. At some point, it should just be an experience. So what experience, right, ultimately, what sort of UX inside of the casita are all of these things bringing you. I shouldn't have to really look at a blue glowing dot that lights up every time I walk by it to be at a comfortable temperature in my house, right? It shouldn't really, I shouldn't need a black tube over on my desktop that I yell, you know, commands at. I should just talk or it should anticipate those actions. So that's the future that I look forward to in Casita to where, you know, we move away from having to tinker with devices and even knowing what those devices are to a true like depth of experience. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, So now one thing that we haven't covered, we touched on it a little bit uh, at the very beginning of the show uh, when we talked about people feeling in control and, you know, feeling like they're truly the owner of this space uh, is the the issue of privacy. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of, you know, a user's behavior that's going to be passing through software channels as, you know, the their intentions move through the devices in the casita. And of course, all these devices have their own ecosystems, their own vendors. And so, you know, how do you ensure that, people's data is going to be protected, especially as, as, as it moves through potentially a bunch of different uh, public clouds. Yeah, so we gave a lot of thought to this. And actually, um, Jason put me onto this book called Data for the People by Andreas Feigand. And uh, we took some inspiration on that from that and sort of set out on what we call like the four cornerstones of this sort of future of the connected home. And those are agency uh, transparency, security, and then the actual benefit that you get from this home. And I gave a talk at South by called the final frontier of AI is in your living room. And if, if that isn't black mirror creepy enough to attract enough people, I, I, I don't know what it is. 
so you know, in that talk, uh, I, I won't take them in that order. First, you know, we need to make sure that we're focused on transparency. Do people know what's actually being collected on them? I've been toting around my iPhone for 10 years. I'm pretty sure they know everywhere that I have been since then. I'm not really all that sure. Second, uh, agency. Can I actually do something about it? So are we allowing people the ability to switch off, switch on, control where their data goes? And then third, you know, security. Are we providing another level of security above what you would get out of the box? And I'll let Jason talk about that in a minute. And then last, uh, benefit. You know, am I getting ads? Uh, am I getting a slightly better news feed focused on ads? Or am I getting my rent subsidized? Am I getting a better user experience, better sleep within uh, the connected home? Those are the ways that we kind of think about that on a bigger level. Is the idea that there, if there's no benefit, then it's exploitative? So you want to make sure that there's benefit? Yeah, I think that the onus is if you are taking individual data and using it, then the onus is on you as a data collector to try to provide benefit back to the end user. If you can't do that, then I think the question right. should be, why are you collecting the data in the first place? And so our, gotcha. our our goal is really looking at it from the perspective of if we know when users are turning lights on and off and what they're setting the temperature in their house to and you know when they're going to sleep at night and when they're waking up because we know when they turn everything off and turn or it all back on. where the stains on. on the floor are from the, the vacuum robot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> if we have insight into that information, how are we taking that information and combining it in a valuable way that it benefits the end user? And I think that's the first question that we have to ask when we start looking at the data that we're collecting. But at the same time, as Jeff said, that data collection, it really has to be based on this notion of agency, transparency, and privacy or security. An agency is simply, I, I have control over whether my data is collected transparency from the perspective of I understand how my data is being used and where it's being sent. And then, of course, security. I know that my data is being securely transmitted and stored. And, you know, when you think about security, we spend a lot of time thinking about not only the data at rest, once it's been collected, is it properly being stored and encrypted and protected, but then how is that data being transmitted? And and are we putting the proper fail-safes in place to make sure that somebody else can't easily gain access and take control of my home and of the things that are important to me by finding, you know, backdoors into the into the system and, and ways to breach them. So those those are kind of the cornerstones that we think about and that we put first and foremost in our mind is we build out our architecture, build out our system, and as we begin to take that data and, and to turn it back in useful and interesting ways for the end user. Mm, yeah, no, I think that's really important. It actually, uh, I think it's a great comfort to hear, you know, that y'all have a framework for thinking about this, you know, so that it's going to be integrated into every aspect uh, of it. And I think it's just so important, right? When it, uh, especially when it's something so critical as the space uh, in which you're living. So it's, it's good to hear uh, that it's not just an afterthought, but that it's something that's, you know, been integrated from the, from the start. Well, Jeff, Jason, thank you guys so much uh, for coming by and talking with us. 
I really think that uh, Casita is an exciting product, and I think that it was an exciting project, certainly for us to get to work on, even though we were only seeing uh, a very small sliver of it. Uh, you know, we still got to perceive the whole enchilada that you guys were working on, and see, you know, that that just what a unique kind of startup uh, that it is. That really is, you know, you're not just you're moving outside of software, integrating a bunch of different devices, integrating that with, you know, a unique home that's going to be like designed, architected, manufactured, and then, you know, thinking then even rolling it up uh, a degree further about, you know, how is this going to be integrated into the urban spaces in which we live? And I hope that we see more startups that really engage all those different disciplines. And, you know, I think that with the technological changes that are happening, that's more and more a possibility. The, the price on software, the price on materials, the price on, you know, these smart devices is all coming down. And so it really enables people to, you know, take on scopes that might have been just completely impossible, even with a, you know, someone who's overly optimistic. So I hope that people look to it as an inspiration and it really was a great project for us to work on. So now I also understand that, uh, you know, if, if someone does want to jump into this space and get involved, y'all are hiring. That's right. We uh, are hiring for a broad uh, range of positions. We're you know, expecting to be doing a lot more hiring soon. You can go to casita.com uh, slash work, uh, casita with a K. And at the bottom of the page, you can also see that we have an open house uh, here in Austin every Thursday morning from 930 to 1130 uh, that folks can come in and check out the crib. All right. Fantastic. I certainly really enjoyed getting to tour the space. Uh, what was that back in March um, when y'all had, when you unrailed, revealed the beta units? Yeah, it was March at South by exactly. Yeah. It's really, it's something to see if you are in Austin or you live here, take the time, go see it. It's really cool. With that, I guess uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up. Thank you everybody for listening. And as always, you can get in touch with us at the Frontside on Twitter or Frontside.io or send us an email at contact at Frontside.io. Thank you all and see you next week.